We are wrapping up our series in Exodus. Mark's just been absolutely covered in baby sick there. There we go, everyone look. Give him a moment of shame. Poor fella. Uh, we are rounding out our series in the book of Exodus. We've got five chapters which we're going to just move through this afternoon. Don't worry, we won't. We won't read it all. But there is one overriding theme we're going to see as this epic story comes to a close and it's this the goal of humanity is to experience the glory of God the goal of humanity is to experience the glory of God that is what we long for folks and we need it because this is a brutal world to live in isn't it at times it's joyful at times it's full of happiness but it can be a brutal space to inhabit I was with a friend this week, a, a Christian brother, he's uh, struggling with um, an addiction to alcohol. And he's been clean for a while, a good few months. Uh, but this week he hit rock bottom. And uh, he reached out to me in the week. And I went around and spent some time. And he'd been withdrawing from alcohol on that day. And was in a terrible, terrible place. Um, if you know anything about trying to be free from addictions, you'll know that your body fights against it. And he was in that space on, um, on Thursday night, I think it was. And his body was, was uh, trying to pull him back and he did the right thing. He reached out and we ended up you know, going to the Royal Hospital and on the way down, he was um, shaking and sweating and he'd not long had a seizure. And we're sitting in the waiting room in the Royal to go in. And as I'm preparing for this, uh, for us, this afternoon, I'm so reminded um, that it is brutal to live here often. He was watching his clock, knowing that the next season was going to come any minute. And he knew how humiliating that would be for him as his bowel movements he can't control as he's rolling on the floor and he's fearing that this is coming. And I'm reminded that this is a brutal place to live sometimes. And the brutality of life here, folks, has us longing for a place and a time when we are free from it. Like I felt that acutely as I was sitting with my brother, my friend, on Thursday night. Oh, I longed for a world where he'd be free from that. I long for it for you as well. Whether you're a Christian or not here this afternoon, we all long for it. Our souls long for it. We long for a place where that kind of suffering is gone. We long for a place where there is no more death. We long for a place where the pain of mourning loved ones who have gone is gone. We long for a time when the pain of our suffering is removed, where tears are a distant memory. We long for a, a time and a place that feels safe. A home that feels safe, a home that feels comfortable, a home that doesn't have the anxieties of rising bills. We long for a home where we don't have to fear about locking our doors at night. We long for a home where there is no exhaustion of needing to prove ourselves or hide ourselves or change ourselves just to be like the person who says that we should be like them. We long for a place where we don't feel the tension of having to fit in 
A place where we just enjoy the constant state of delight. Delight over us and a delight that we can have over others. We long for a place where we are a true rest. We long for a place where there is physical, no more physical pain, no more emotional distress, where the mental struggle which so many of us contend with is gone. We long for a place where there is endless beauty in everything that we see. A perfectly beautiful creation with perfect temperatures, whatever that means. A place with no threat of mutated cells or destructive weather. We long for a place where the created order is in perfect harmony, in joyful unity, and flourishes spectacularly. We long for a perfect creation. We long for a perfect humanity. When struggles with identity, sexuality, substances, money, power, alcohol, will all of those struggles are a thing of the past. We long for that place. We long for a perfect humanity where there are no liars, where there are no abusers, where there are no thieves, where there are no murderers. We long for a place where every person that we encounter is completely trustworthy. We long for a place where everything has been made new. And actually, even though we might not admit it, our souls long for a place where God is. The same God that we've seen over the last 20 weeks be revealed to us through this incredible story of the Exodus. A God who fulfilled his promise to create a people. A God who freed his people from slavery. A God who brought righteous judgment on his enemy. A God who crushed his opposition Pharaoh. A God who saved his people from death. A God who led them through the Red Sea. A God who fed them in the wilderness. A God who gave his people his perfect law. A God who forgave the sins of his people despite their unfaithfulness. A God who gave them the tabernacle. This glorious home where God was going to dwell in their midst. A God who revealed his glory to his people. And as he revealed it, he showed that he was full of mercy and grace. That is the God that we've seen at work over these last 20 weeks. And that is the God who will be in the place that we long for. And all of his glory. Remember, glory is, is the beauty of God's perfect character. All of his glory will shine in that place like a sun that never sets. It's that place and it's that glory that our hearts long for, folks. And it's that place and that glory that we are drawn towards as we finish off this story. Look with me at the last verses of this wonderful book that we've been in, in Exodus chapter 40. And look how Moses finishes it. Look, look at what he wants God's people to think about and to have their hearts filled with as he pens these last few words of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 to 38. The glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. 
So through the story of the Exodus, we've seen that Israel have been, Israel have been freed from their slavery. And remember, it's physical slavery, but that's really a picture of our spiritual slavery, right? They've been freed from slavery to enjoy the glory of God, to enjoy God's presence as he dwells in their midst, just like he is with us by his spirit this afternoon. And Israel have been on a wild journey, haven't they, through these 40 chapters. But now they reach the end of this part of their story. And they're ready to enjoy the beauty of God's character as he dwells amongst them. And in chapter 25 to 30, a few weeks ago, we saw that God gave them instructions of how to build the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle is like this show home, the the tent that God tells them to build, a show home for the presence of God. God wants to be with them. Like that has always been God's purpose right from the start, right from the Garden of Eden. He wants to be with humanity. He wants to dwell with humanity. And so he gives his people instructions for this tabernacle. This is how I'm going to dwell in your presence. And then as we get to these last five chapters, chapter 35 to 40, we see God's people take the instructions and build it. They build the tabernacle. And then when we reach these last few verses in chapter 40, it's done. The tent has been built and the glory of God's presence fills the tabernacle. And did you see it's so strong that initially Moses has to evacuate like the glory of God, the beauty of his character is so intense. It's so tangible that he has to get out the way. But what we see in this last chapter is that God fulfills his promise to dwell amongst his people. And remember the tabernacle is just a blueprint for for the eternal home of God's people. Our eternal home, the the, the place that that, that we are moving towards, that is the last stop on the journey of God's people. And right at the end of the Bible, in a book called Revelation, the Apostle John has a vision of what that place will be like. For all of us, if you're one of God's people, this is where we're heading. He has a vision of the eternal home of God's people in chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 1 to 5. And what he sees is everything that, that we just heard right at the start. All the longings of our soul, all of the things that we want gone, all of the things that we want to enjoy. That's what John sees as he looks at our eternal home, the place that is heading for all of God's people. That's what John sees. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 21 in Revelation, that place is called the new heaven and the new earth. And that is the future, the certain future for all of God's people. And the tabernacle, which was built in Exodus chapter 40, that was a signpost. A signpost to Israel and a signpost to the nations. The new heavens and the new earth, that's what's coming. God isn't going to dwell in a tent for all of eternity. He isn't even going to dwell in the, in the, the um, mind blank, in the temple. Thank you, Mark. He isn't going to dwell in the temple either. That's what comes after the tent. No, God wants to dwell physically right amongst his people. And that is what's coming for all of God's people. The new heavens and the new earth, the place that our soul longs for, a place filled with God, a place of peace, a place of rest. And these last five chapters in Exodus show us how to get there. And let me just tell you this. We don't get there through our work. We don't get there through our effort. We don't get there through proving ourselves. We don't get there even by being good people. These five chapters, and in fact, in fact, the rest of the Bible, show us that we experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience, 
motivated by love. We experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience motivated by love. See, the glory of God, that place that we're longing for, that isn't a given for humanity. We can't just walk into that. That's, that's not our home automatically. We've seen over the last 20 weeks that guilty sinners cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. But God so desires that we will dwell with him, that he provides a way. And the way to experience the glory of God is through sacrificial obedience motivated by love. And I just want to just catch those three movements there, sacrifice, obedience, and love, and just briefly just show us how we see them in these five chapters here. And so just just really quickly, sacrifice. When we get to chapter 40 of the book of Exodus, like it's easy just to close the book and think, oh, done with that book. Let's move on to the New Testament. But actually, that's just... That's just a little bit of Israel's story. And actually, this whole component of this season of life that we're in carries on into the next page. Like you'll see, there's another book that comes right after Exodus called Leviticus. And actually, what we see in Leviticus is is this, this picture of sacrifice, this picture of how we engage with God. Like if you've got it open there, you'll see Leviticus chapter one, uh, verse one, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying, speak to the people of Israel, say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. And the whole book of Leviticus is about how we approach God through sacrifice. That's the only way that we can come into the presence of God through sacrifice. That is the pattern of God's people dwelling with him and experiencing, experiencing his glory. And so in the Old Testament, God's people use the book of Leviticus, rules and means for them to approach God. Now, this side of the cross, as we kind of live in in the new covenant times, we don't need to hold on to Leviticus like they would have done in the times before the cross, but we're still called to a, a life of sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that God's people will offer up their lives as spiritual sacrifices. That means that we give our lives to God. Elizabeth reminded us right at the start, didn't she, that we pick up our cross every day and deny ourselves. We come to God and say, here I am, Lord, take me. Do whatever you want to do with me. Here's my time. Here's my money. Here's my resources. Here's my affections. Everything I have, you do with it what you want. Take me and use me. And when we do that, When we come to God in sacrifice, folks, we experience the glory of God. We experience the beauty of his joy and the contentment that comes with giving ourselves to God. So we have sacrifice and then we have obedience. And we haven't got time to read through all the five chapters here, chapter 35 to 40. But there is something stunning going on here that we'll miss because we're just taking a chapter at a time. But just, I'm going to put it up in a minute and we'll see what's really remarkable about these chapters here. But, but let me just remind you, those of you who were here a few weeks ago, back in chapter 25 to chapter 30. Remember we saw that God gave the instructions to his people for how to build the tabernacle. Remember that? God gave them really specific instructions. Build it this way. Put, put this uh, furniture in that room. This furniture in that room. So in chapter 25 to 30, God gives instructions to his people. And then in chapter 35 to chapter 40, you get the people responding in obedience. And they construct the tabernacle exactly as God commanded them. 
Now just look at this for an example. Karis will throw it up just so we can see. This is just one example out of, you could do this for every part of the temple. So at the top there in chapter 27, we've got the instruction from God, build it like this. And in the bottom, we've got the response of God's people and just see how they mirror each other perfectly. So in Exodus 27, God commands his people, make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall it be, shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and its half its height. Now, when we were reading that in chapter 27, we were like, what on earth? Like, why do we need to know those exact measurements? Well, this is why in chapter 35, Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half with its length. A cubit and, its, and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. We've got no idea what cubits are. We don't need to know what cubits are. What we need to know is that God says do something. And what do they do? They do it. Next one, Karis. Throw another one up for us. You shall overlay with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. That's what God says in chapter 35. This is what they do. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. Chapter 27, God says, do this. What happens in chapter 35? They do it. Next one, Karis, please. Chapter 27, you shall cast four rings of gold for it. This is um, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And put them on its four feet. Two uh, rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And then God's people in chapter 35, they cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet. Two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. God says, do it like this. And what do they do? They do it. The point here, folks, is the people of God are walking in obedience. And we could do the same exercise. I encourage you, go and do it at home. It's fascinating. It's cut and paste side by side. God says, do it like this, and God's people do it. And Moses deliberately puts the book together like this to drive the point that everything is done as God commanded it to be done. You look in chapter 39, the descriptions of the priestly garments that they're told to make. Ten times Moses repeats that what was done was done as the Lord commanded. Ten times. And what we see in these mirrors is God has given us the pattern for how we experience the glory of God. And it is through sacrificial obedience. That was true for God's people then and it is true for us now, folks. We experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience. And God has given us instructions. He has shown us what obedience looks like. He shows us what he is calling us to in his word. And if we want to flourish as human beings in this life, we need to listen to his voice and walk in obedience. And as we do, we experience the glory of God, the joy of flourishing in the ways that he has given us to live. So we have sacrifice, we have obedience, and then we have love. We experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience, but that is motivated by love. So folks, don't, don't kind of hear this, like let's, let's hear what God says and do as he commands. Don't just hear that and then just automatically think, okay, I'm going to go and do that like we're robots. That isn't what God intends for us at all. We experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience, but it is motivated by love. Just turn back a few chapters to chapter 35 and we see this in such a stunningly beautiful way. Let me just read a couple of verses to us. Chapter 35, verses 20. And 22. 
So they're, they're given the instructions to build a tabernacle, this, this um, home for God. And then uh, the people are called to respond. They need materials to build it. And so this is what we hear, 35 verse 20. All the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. You see that their motivation for obedience and sacrifice comes from the heart. You pick up like their hearts are stirred. They're moved in their spirit. They come with a willing heart. Isn't that God says, right, we've got to build this thing. And everyone's like, yes, sir. It's not that at all. Their hearts are moved to respond to God from a place of love. Bless you. These people are stirred. They are moved by the prospect of experiencing God's glory. And so they come to God and they give. They give. Don't worry, this isn't a sermon on giving and tithing and bringing your offering. This is an observation that we experience the glory of God through obedient sacrifice. But it is motivated by love. God sets before them the prospect of his glory. He gives them commands to build and they obey. But they don't do it under compulsion. They were stirred and they were moved. And did you notice the beautiful detail in verse 22? What was it that they brought to God? Gold. Now, if we've been following the story over the last few weeks, that should ring in our ears. The last time they brought gold was when they brought it to Aaron, remember? And they fashioned, remember we were talking about this, just stupid, pathetic looking calf, bull. They melted down their gold, made an idol and bowed down and worshipped. And now they bring their gold to God as an offering of sacrifice. That is the kind of sacrificial obedience that God wants, folks. Turning our back on sin, saying no to sin and saying yes to God. And not just because we're told to, but because we want to, because we love him, because our hearts are stirred and our spirits are moved. Folks, these five chapters are a beautiful example of how we experience the glory of God through sacrificial obedience motivated by love. But remember, this whole book is pointing somewhere. Like we just need to turn over a few pages, get past Leviticus, and we start to see how God's people, this is a beautiful picture here in chapter 35 of them, walking in obedience and coming from a motivation of love, but it's not so far down the road that they begin to stumble and they fail to walk in sacrificial obedience. And so do we, right? Like we've all done the right thing and we're at, we're at church this afternoon and you know, pat on your back for that, but give it five minutes and we're out the door and we're failing, we're struggling, we're stumbling. Sacrificial obedience motivated by love might last for a little while, but let's see how we get on in the week. That is not the case with Jesus. 
Jesus never failed. Jesus never stumbled. Jesus never sinned. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension, they can all be summarized as sacrificial obedience motivated by love. And in fact, that's what we're meant to see here. Really, we experience the glory of God through Jesus. You pop that next one up for us, Karis. See, Jesus lives a perfectly obedient life. He dies a perfectly sacrificial death for the sins of his people. He rises again so we can enjoy eternal life, the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. And at every turn, Jesus' motivation is love. Like we can replace sacrificial obedience motivated by love with Jesus. That is his life. That is his death. That is his resurrection. That is who he is and what he has done. And our only hope for dwelling with God and experiencing his glory is through Jesus. He freely offers the forgiveness that comes through his death for our sin and the eternal life that comes through his resurrection. That is a free gift offered to all if you are willing to accept it by faith. Remember right at the start, folks, who said the goal of humanity is to experience the glory of God. Well, this book, the Exodus, has given us the pattern for how we do it. Sacrificial obedience motivated by love. Exodus gives us the pattern. Jesus gives us the fulfillment. See, multiple times through the New Testament, we see Jesus referred to as God's temple. So we read about the tabernacle here and then it's upgraded to the temple But when Jesus comes and lives amongst us, he's then referred to as God's temple. The literal dwelling place of God is amongst humanity. Which leads us to the last application that we're going to take from this book. Where is the temple of God now? Oh, clue. It's up there. It's in his church. The goal of humanity is to experience the glory of God. Exodus is the pattern. Jesus is the fulfillment. And his church is the means. We experience the glory of God, folks, through Jesus in his church. So let me ask you a question. If someone was looking to meet God and experience his glory, where would they go today? To the church of Jesus. Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about us, the church, he says, In him, in Jesus Christ, we are being built up into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We are where God is pleased to dwell now. The place where people can meet God is no longer in a tabernacle. It's no longer in a temple. Like we were just talking before me and Joseph, it's not even in a building. Like that isn't the church. The place where people can meet God now, folks, is with his people. The church, that is where they meet him as we proclaim and live out the gospel. And can I just say, like, we know the the community that we live in. This community is searching for the glory of God. Whether they admit it freely or not, they are searching for the glory of God. They are searching for the divine. They are searching for that place that we described before the new heavens and the new earth. Their soul aches for it. And God's address is Liberty Church on Livingston Drive in Liverpool.
or wherever it is that we are found in the week. In these last few chapters, uh, we meet two characters, Bezalel and Aholiab. And these are two engineers. I connect with these guys a lot. Like they are, they're about the detail. I like these boys, Bezalel and Aholiab. And they take charge of the construction of the tabernacle. And they take uh, control of, of crafting all of the furniture that goes inside the tabernacle. And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the furniture. It's specific. We had the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, and, and the priestly robes. And remember a few weeks ago when we went through each of those different pieces of furniture and we said all of these things point to Jesus. The ark, which is the box that God's commandments uh, sat in, they point to Jesus' rule and reign. The table, which had bread on a perpetual bread, that points to the fellowship, the communion we have with Jesus. The lampstand uh, just shows how Jesus is the light of the world. The altar was the place where Jesus reminds us of Jesus being sacrificed in the priestly robes. Jesus is our great high priest. All of those pieces of furniture pointed to Jesus. And in the same way, all of those pieces of furniture now point to the church. The ark. We are the place. God's people is the place where God reigns. The table. We are the place where people can enjoy fellowship with God, particularly around this meal, the lampstand. We are the place through which the light of the gospel shines, the altar. We are the place where salvation through Jesus is proclaimed, the priestly robes. We are those who represent God to the world and we are those who intercede for the world to God. We experience the glory of God through Jesus, folks. And in his sovereign wisdom, he does that through his church. And my friend who I took to hospital on Thursday, as we were traveling in in the car, and he was just struggling with his faith. And he turned to me and said, Neil, if Jesus was real, he'd be here. And I said, mate, he is. And looks around, what do you mean? I said, I'm here. He said, no, 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 I mean Jesus would actually be here. And I said, I wouldn't be here if Jesus wasn't here. This is how he works. He works through his people. He shows the beauty of his character through his people. He shows his joy, his peace, his rest, his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his power. He shows it through his people, the church. It's in the church that we get to enjoy God's presence and see his glory. And we should all hope as God's people that we become a church that the Apostle Paul dreams of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he says, it should be so that unbelievers walk into your presence and they say, wow, God is really among you. Like We want that for Liberty Church, don't we? Folks, we have been on a beautiful journey through this book. And we have learned that we can expect for God to speak to us. We can expect for him to lead and protect us through his people. We can expect for him to transform us as we look to his son. We can expect him to welcome us into the new heavens and the new earth. If we are his people, when all of this is over... But until then, he's called his people, he has called his church into literally a glorious calling to be the people that carry his glory to the nations.
So this week, as we go about our business, can I encourage us, look for opportunities to be God's temple. Think about what it looks like for us to be the presence of God in the places that we inhabit this week. In your workplace, in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, as we have coffee on the lane, as we eat. What does it look like for you to be the presence of God this week, to reflect the character of Jesus, to obey, to sacrifice, but motivated by love, to shine bright, to be a kingdom of priests, to reflect the character of Jesus and to call people to come and dwell with our holy God. And none of it because we have to, but all of it motivated by love because of who he is what he's done let's pray father we thank you for this book we thank you for what you've been teaching us we thank you for your patience towards sinners we thank you for your mercy towards the unfaithful we thank you for your grace towards the undeserving and father we thank you that you desire for us to enter into the glory of your presence And Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way through your perfect, loving, sacrificial obedience. You have made a way for us to be with God for all eternity. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are pleased to dwell in your people. Thank you that we are the living temple in the communities that we inhabit. So use us this week. Lead us to the lost Holy Spirit. Help us to reflect the glory of the sun. And it's in his name that we ask.